Welcome to Jurassic Park. Jeremy, we're back this week on the Lo-Fi Top 5. That's one of my favorite intros of all time, even though it's probably one of the worst. If you don't get that joke, immediately go to YouTube and just type in Jurassic Park recorder, and you're welcome. Did I... I think I showed you the video of me in Puerto Rico where we're going up into this rainforest, and the the tour guide had been playing all sorts of, like... Uh, who's that? Bad Bunny? Is that the Puerto Rican rapper? <laughs> yeah. A lot, lot of Bad Bunny. And then all of a sudden, like, we t- come around this corner, and clearly they have this plan, and clearly it works every time. But the Jurassic Park theme just slowly comes in. And I'm, I, of course, turn to my kids. I'm like, we know this music, right, everybody? And they look at me, and they're <laughs> like... And one of, my, one of my kids is like, Indiana Jones? I'm like, I think I'm going to leave you in the rainforest. But then, yeah. <laughs> it was such the moment, and... And, and obviously we're going to talk about that movie here today, but uh, it's a good theme. It's a good theme. It's it's one of the most recognizable in the world. And there's a friend of mine who I, I will not say his name, but I have one of my favorite personal videos ever taken was at my bachelor party on a subway in New York City with a good group of people sort of humming this and then it sort of went into Game of Thrones and it was very, very, hmm. yeah, yeah, it was a long night, but it was a good time. But uh, it's actually relevant. So we lied to you. We're sorry. Not sorry. Uh, last week about what we were going to do this week, because we did say that we might just do something completely different. And now for something completely different. So this week uh, we are doing the Spielberg episode. So very similar to what we did with the cruise episode. Basically all the Spielberg movies, director only, well, director and writer's fine, but like he had to direct, it couldn't be produ- couldn't be produced or couldn't be some weird second unit director or whatever. Uh, and then just rank them as the, these are the ones that Spielberg absolutely had to do. And then is there any that could have been somebody else? Yeah. Yeah, I think the, I think, A, well said. I, th- I think the, this is the hot take on Spielberg's career kind of thing. It's, sure. uh, you know, look, if he's going to be like or like Ridley Scott or Clint Eastwood, he's got maybe decades more movies to come. I don't know. But much like Tom Cruise, it feels like a good check-in time. He's been around the block a little bit. Dude. So obviously the first thing that has to happen when we do an episode like this is you have to go back and be like, all right, well, let me just like make sure I get everything that he's done, but beyond the stuff that I know he's done. And he, had the, he has like a weird arc for me because it's not that I – didn't know he did any of these movies, but it's like I forgot that he did a lot of these movies until I saw them all written down. And then I was like, good God. Like, it's just nuts, dude. It's an insane, insane career. It's it's Jordan in the 90s. It's, yeah. It, I don't know how many comps there are. I went looking. You, you could maybe make a similar case for like Hitchcock in that so many of his movies were so big and so impactful. But when you think about most amazing directors over the last century, and I'm talking like all the way from Coppola to Billy Wilder and, and anywhere in between, I don't see a lot of careers like this. Like you just don't. Well, and it's, it's what's crazy is that the time span, like he started young, dude. And the thing that was crazy for me being a, like the millennial who like, you know, didn't start watching movies like on purpose until like the mid nineties, like a lot of the titles that I'm aggressively familiar with from him are from 
way before I was a person. And like <laughs> his quality hasn't, it's not like it's dipped. Even the stuff that of, of his, I haven't seen of which there is some like pretty big titles of his that I just haven't seen. But even those ones are like extraordinarily highly regarded. Like I, dude, it's, it's just a wild list of, of movies. Like it's a wild list of movies to pick from, which actually for me made it pretty hard to like start to orient around which of these I think could have not been him. How, how did you, how easy was this for you? Uh, Mick. So here's what I did. So I, I wrote down, you know, what are the essential by Spielberg section? I did the, sure. what are the, yeah, I could easily take it someone else. And then I had an unsure category. Okay. So that's kind of how I approached it. Uh, I do actually have a Shawshank of sorts. Um, oh, so do I actually, but, but I want to talk about oh, mine though. Yeah, same. I, I wasn't going to get it. I, I don't want to talk about it too much, but I definitely want to address it. I kind of want to start with one little thing though, which is I think it's worth sort of grounding ourselves on Spielberg himself. So what I, I, I'll give you my take on Spielberg. To me, what he does and maybe the single best ever to have done it, right? The, the Gretzky of the of the category, the Shawshank of the director category, if you will, is I think he makes stories fully accessible to any audience. I think that's, that's his true gift is that Mm. you almost can be, look, I can't speak on behalf of other demographics than myself, but given his set of movies, it seems that most of what he's done is taken a story of whatever kind and made it that virtually anybody can show up and watch that thing and relate to it, find characters that seem fairly realistic in the most case, characters that you'll empathize with, uh, finds a way to make every story heartwarming, finds a way to make kids uh, work in movies in in an effective manner, uh, and then fundamentally just sort of embiggens any story he's part of. It's a great word. Thank you. Uh, So just yes, I think that's my opinion of Spielberg now too. I don't think I could have said it like that, but now that you're saying it, I'm actually literally in real time looking at my list and going, oh, there's two movies here I didn't understand and I wanted and we'll talk about today where I was like, oh, why does this movie so good? What What is it about this movie that makes it so mm. different than any other movie like it? And I think you might have just actually encapsulated it, which is like just universal approachability and lovely and still gripping though like he is a storyteller yeah. man like he's a storyteller yeah, absolutely he's he's the if i were to say on a writing scale i think stephen king was the storyteller of the 20th century on a on a movie scale it's spielberg and Ooh. on a tv scale it's probably norman lear but um the the thing that's so Ooh. yeah you um, like that take right there real quick it's good i have a i have a fun rebuttal potentially where on which one Mike Shore on the TV one. I think Mike Shore is like such a brilliant storyteller. And I, we can fight about this on another podcast. I know we're not, we, we don't have to fight. I would just argue he's the, so far the best of the 21st century. Whereas I would say Lear owned the 20th century. Oh yeah. Okay. That's fair. When was, so what about, I'm not I mean, Lear's this. still producing. Yeah. No, Sorkin's the other would be my other argument. Also probably taking the belt from, from Lear into the, like, West Wing starts in what, like 97, 98? 97, I think, yeah. Yeah, so. Okay, anyway, go uh, ahead. Let's do our Shawshank, shall we? Sure. All right, so the Shawshank, dot, 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 first episode, it's our ultimate of a category. So <laughs> we try to explain it every week for new new listeners, but uh, 
we, you know, we really know it's really just my mom listening every week. So oh, <laughs> I cold. So mom, <laughs> the Shawshank, as you personally know, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so the ultimate of the Spielberg, in my opinion, the one I wanted the Shawshank was actually Schindler's List. Okay. So that's, that's, that's mine. And do we share that or do we not share that? So it's actually funny. I'm I'm willing to share it because originally I had put it there. Um, and then another movie kind of jumped up where I was like, I want to talk about this movie for sure. And so I didn't know if I should Shawshank neither and list them both or Shawshank. But I do think there's one specifically given the timeline of his career where I kind of feel like for me anyway, it's a Shawshank and it's not that one. I know which one you have. I'm, I'm fairly confident. I have it in my top. I assume it's in my list of the essentials. So we'll, we'll get there. So my take on Schindler's List, I will make this fairly quick. By the way, that's the second rule of Shawshank because we don't really talk that much about it. I think in all sincerity, there are actually probably other directors who could have told the same kind of story just as well. You, have, I mean, this is 93. There's amazing directors from, from Berg to Scorsese to Coppola to... Uh, uh, you know, uh, Soderbergh, etc. all of whom would have treated the same subject with the same reverence and the same specialness. And I don't think anybody else would have quite given it the magic touch to make it as special a movie as it was. And, and, and it is because it's in so many ways, it's, it's almost a documentary turn into this unbelievable gripping tale. And it's not heartwarming because it's, the Holocaust, but it's Spielberg. So there's somehow he's replaced that heartwarming element with, with something else. I can't, I don't even know the words to use for it. Go. So this is in my top five and I'm going to keep it there. And just okay. because of, because of the other one, but we could just talk about it now because I actually don't want to go deep on this movie for all the obvious reasons that we don't need to talk about it. The sure. word that I would say, and, and the word that I had written down for this, which is why, which is actually just kind of nicely sort of folding into what you were saying there's a humanity to this film that I think he was uniquely capable of doing. It didn't feel like a movie. So to, I went through that same list of people that you did. And I was like, all these people could have done it and it would have felt like a movie. Something about the way he, everything about that film is so aggressively real that it, it just, I don't know. I think he did something with that, that I don't think anybody else in that moment could have gotten that level. I don't think anybody would have screwed it up because nobody would have been dumb enough to screw it up because right. you can't screw that up. And I think people would have carried reverence with it and they would have figured it out. But I don't think anybody anybody on the planet is capable of turning that that subject matter into that movie other than him in that time frame. Agreed. Fully, fully agreed. So we don't have to talk about it again. That's actually why I was going to Shawshank it. But then there's another movie that I knew we were going to talk about anyway. So I was like, well, whatever. So I'll just move that out. We can just agree to Shawshank this, actually. That's fine. All right. I'm assuming your movie to Shawshank is from 1980. Ooh. No. Interesting. Okay. Go right on. Go right ahead. Okay. Well, so actually, if why don't we just agree to Shawshank Schindler's and I'll put my other because it really was a one A one B for me, and I'll just use the other one in my list because I know we're going to talk about them. Fair enough. By the way, I got that wrong. Eighty one. That's what I meant to say. Was it okay? Well, I I don't know who goes first this week. I go first this week. Okay. Well, no, you just go first. Okay, so I didn't do the guessing game because I feel like there's only like I mean there are fifty or so movies to choose from, fifty seven if I'm not mistaken, but. I didn't feel like playing with a guessing game. 
That's fine. Okay? I did five words. I did like silly five words to make just just to make you laugh because I know you're gonna know all of them. Yeah. Uh, how about bank thieves near St. Louis? Bank thieves near St. This is actually not. Or this might be one of the bank, movies I haven't seen of this. Bank thieves of missing semicircle. Bank? I'm so confused right now. Missing semicircle? Oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ark. For some reason, I'm really not. It's just not connecting. The five word thing is not yeah, connecting. It wasn't. I just did it on the fly. It wasn't very good. Uh, if we had a real producer, he'd be yelling at us right now for such mediocre shtick. So, yeah, Raiders. Yeah, I, this is in my top five. I had attackers from an old boat. Old boat. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Nice arc. Yeah. So, that, the St. Louis thing, I was like, arch, it's close to arc. That's oh, jeez. That just connected what you meant. Now I understand. Mm, yeah. I said it was mediocre. <laughs> Sorry, uh, producer Bill. <laughs> we won't do that again. <laughs> I just named our producer. You know what? Let, yeah. We can just now be angry. We'll just ha- make this fictional character. We'll start referencing him every time. See how it goes. This is where it all started, everybody. All right. So I took some notes for this one. I'm just going to write, read through them really quick, and then we'll, then we'll riff from here. So Raiders is a particularly special movie. A, I saw it in the theaters, so I'm just going to sort of ground that. And this took the entire genre of action movies and turned it up on its head. And I, I think this is a hard nuance to recognize at your age compared to my age. I really actually believe there's an element of knowing more about earlier comedy uh, action. So he made an action Western or a comedic adventure. It's, it's basically the beginning of these modern romps. Like, have you ever seen 70s action movies, JT? Yeah, I've seen a couple of them. Like, have you seen like swarms of ants and then swarms of bees and then slapstick lousy Alan Quartermain adventure movies that made no sense. Did you see all of those? Do you know what I'm talking about here? Not all of them, but I've seen enough of them to know I hated them. And that's why I don't watch them. Like before the nineties and the TNT Sunday afternoon classics, which really just saved weekend television in a way that's hard to describe when it would be like a mid afternoon on a Sunday and it was time for a movie to be on cable TV. You'd have a movie called something like, bees you know and it would basically be like this you know outbreak of killer bees somewhere and there's like millions of them and they like are predatory and they're taking over and it's like or or ants and they're like scorpions like whatever it was like that was seven and then you occasionally had something like the towering inferno or poseidon adventure but action movies were just mostly bad or you had these westerns that were mostly slow they were brilliant sierra madre good bad the ugly but along comes indiana jones and we also now have a new thing, which is an action hero that's flawed, but not in the wrong ways, right? So it, it's like the right kind of flawed action hero. And then the final thing that I think makes this movie so magical is it takes itself very seriously and at the same time does not get caught up in itself as its seriousness. Like they are telling a story as well as they can. They don't want it to be schlocky. They don't want it to be ridiculous like that but at the same time they have fun with what could happen in the story right and some of that is coincidental to the production like in the shooting the guy with the uh with the sword the sword master guy yeah like you i'm sure you know that that's that's a that was a improv moment yep right 
Like the whole movie was a crazy production story. Everything about this should have been a disaster. And instead, I think we have the genre-defining movie of action adventures. Spielberg. Yeah, I can't say anything better than that. And that, I mean, that Raiders is in my top five. Like, you know, I call it the Needed Steven catalog. Like, this is a Needed Steven. Because I don't think <laughs> that anybody could have done this the way he did it. Because no one had before. And I think... I'll talk about this with another movie, but I would argue, interestingly, no one did it right again for a while, even after he did it. Like, it still took people a while to sort of figure this out, I think, which is amazing because even as a 1991, let's say, when like Indiana Jones really became like a big deal to me, totally held up. Like 10-year-old JT still thought these movies were awesome. 36-year-old JT today loves this movie like... Yeah, I, it's just Raiders, man. Like, it's one of my favorite, just good time, all the things, all the things. It has all the things. I, I'm going to make the case right now that there's no movie like this until Die Hard. Yeah. Die, like, right. Die Hard is the next, Die Hard, like, takes the belt of, like, best action story at the time. Even though you have great action movies in the 80s. So it's, it's not to say... It's just very different. Like Predator, probably the best '80s action movie overall. I think. I don't know. That's a quick riff on a, on an idea. It's probably but like, close. it's it's, it's got to be up there. But it's not. Predator's not accessible the way Raiders is. Raiders is accessible. And that's again going back to what Spielberg does so well here is, you can relate to all of these characters one way or another, and it's it, it's just this unreal movie. I think the next one after. You know, you've got Die Hard, and then you get some some interesting movies in through the '90s. But if you really think like action adventure, you go all the way to probably like Brendan Fraser and The Mummy as as the next real like you know son of Indiana Jones is probably that movie, and it's nowhere close. It's a lot of fun. Don't you? I love The Mummy with, with Fraser. It's a lot of fun, and probably is a true homage, like the same level of yeah. they take themselves seriously, but also have a lot of fun. Spielberg, Raiders, legend. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. No, I have no arguments. I mean, technically it would be your turn again, but should we just go back and forth this week? Because we're going to share a lot of movies. I'm very curious where, where else we go with, with, with our shared list. Like I have a hunch. I'm looking at my list right now. I have to assume you're going to have at least three of three of my four remaining. I think I will, I will predict right now. We only have one not in common. So let's, let's see where we go. Okay. Uh, so sh- sh- are we going back and forth? Is it my turn now? Even sure. though we share that? Okay. Yeah. So this is the one that I was going to Shawshank. Uh, and I'm, again, I'm just going to give you five words to make you laugh because it's fun. Initials, an outer space person. Oh, that's your Shawshank. Interesting. This is No, that's fine. It's in my top five and I have some thoughts on it. But uh, let's, let's, I, I, this is not the one I was expecting. Phone home, JT. Let's hear it. Okay. So here's the deal. ET is... Uh, one of the most well put together movies potentially of all time because it grounds you in this very real life with this very weird event. And then the way that everything gets handled with a couple small details, but like for the most part, freak out, big tense, all like, I just like the way that it's like, it's a good story. It's how you would think something like this would happen. Now, remove yourself from how amazing the story is and put yourself in what what had to happen for this to come together. First of all, 
1982. This is before we've had, I would argue, with the exception of Alien, original Alien, which was 79, right? Like, there's there's been a lot of bad, bad outer space people and fake living things. Like, film had not nailed this yet, like, in a lot of ways. And E.T., I think, was totally believable in, like, the sense of, like, you know, it, not just in a moment in time, but even now. Like, even, like, watching it now, it's like, oh, it's clearly fake, but, like, it looks pretty good. I'm oh, sorry. I was just going to agree with you. I think uh, I did a quick, like, mental, like, what 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 other sci-fi-ish movies played in this kind of space, you know, had believableness to them, you know, but also, like, you know, as magical as E.T. was at the moment – it still looked like you knew it was, it was real, but not real at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, it was so fantastical. You know, here's one of my favorite movies to reference on our podcast in general. Mac in, and 1980, me? in 1988, they made Mac and me. And by, by all accounts in 1988 and in 1982, whoever made this movie, it should have probably been Mac and me. Like that's what you should have made. So both <laughs> they should be switched. <laughs> and then six years later, you still would kind of be like, yeah, that's probably right. That's probably right. Like in 1988, Mac and Me is not a ridiculous movie if it's not being held up against E.T., which was so aggressively ahead of its time. The acting that, like, as you mentioned, from kids, there are so few movies that have kids that young that are that good. Like e Drew Barrymore, like obviously she became super famous and she comes from a famous family, but like just the performances of his brother and him and the boys on the boat. There's so much in that movie that should have made it go wrong, including the fact that like they didn't have enough to, it was a puppet and it was clearly a puppet. Like you knew that and it still didn't take you out of it. Cause that's how good the storytelling and acting was. And that is as far as I'm concerned, squarely on the shoulders of a director to pull off. And, uh, Oh, given that I'm there's no just, I just want to keep agreeing with you, JT. I'm going to interrupt you a couple times. I like We're it. We're going to do some some lousy edits, but fundamentally, I'm agreeing with everything you're saying. Oh, Bob's not editing this episode. Bill, what did we say his name was? Uh -oh. oh, oh no, uh, Bob quit. Sorry. Oh, oh, so it's back to me. That's a bummer. All right. Well, I'm I'm not editing this episode either. The thing with the thing with ET and the reason I was going to Shawshank it is because being that it was 1982, ahead of all this other stuff, there's not as there's not a blueprint. I think E.T. is a blueprint again. Like the same way, the, the same argument you made for, for Raiders, I think is true of E.T. In a, what I would consider a more complicated like process to create that movie because you're relying on not Harrison Ford, right? Like, yeah. like, like, like you don't have this big anchor to fix this movie. It's literally a puppet and a kid and, and they've got to carry the whole thing. And they do, which is a, a testament to them as actors and the puppet but also, like, I mean, that's all about direction and, and storytelling. And I just, I For can't sure. imagine anybody else on the planet could have done that in any A2. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. And, and I don't think we can give baby Drew Barrymore the credit for saving the movie. She's pretty good. <laughs> she was pretty good. So here are my notes on this one. So I had this in my top five. And, and here I, I'm just going to actually just straight up read, read what I wrote the other night. So E.T. was not a favorite of mine, to be fair. To be fair. To be fair. It scared me as a kid, like scared me. I thought E.T. was dead. The the, the <laughs> scientist people were scary. They were scary. It was like, you know, and this is that era, like this is a definite difference of like 80s era movies is 
you were genuinely unsure that your protagonist would survive. Correct. Like, yep. You, you know, cause you come off the seventies where they were fine killing off protagonists and you pretty much go all the way to like no country for old men before they start killing them again. Right. So E.T. could have died in this. You don't know that E.T. wasn't going to die, especially, you know, whatever I was nine years old. So I'm in the theater. Everything about this is scary. And I be honest, I have not rewatched this since the eighties. Um, wow. Really? At some point. Yeah. At some point, I, you know, I probably watched it two, three more times on VHS. And whenever it was time to show the kids, I don't know where I was. must have been on a business trip or something. Cause my, I came home one day and was like, Oh yeah, well, no, we watched E.T. I was like, you did? When, when did that happen? And so I sort of missed the opportunity to rewatch it. But from all of my memories, as well as just generally knowing film and what, whatnot, I'm going to argue that this, and, and to your point, and this is what I had written down, this might be the most Spielberg movie. This might be like, it's, it's, it's not my favorite. I don't actually think it's his best by a long shot, but I think it's like the most, it's like Max Spielberg, right? It's like, it's perfectly heartwarming perfectly adventurous perfect perspective of kids in in everything and to your point i I wrote down like who are the i got four directors at that time that maybe could have touched this movie maybe one would be rob reiner yeah i can see that you think about princess bride and he knows how to hit that touchingness i don't know if he knows how to get kids to do their thing i got john landis sure who's Doing some good stuff at the time. I got Ivan Reitman, who does Ghostbusters a couple of years later. Sure. Uh, Zemeckis, who does Back to the Future a couple of years later. Like yep. They all probably could have handled the movie. But I think going all the way back to why you Shawshank did and sort of my thought is, I, same with Schindler, I don't think they quite make it the iconic film it becomes. It's balance. I, I think that's a great list. And the thing with that list is that you've got two that are going to go to comedy and you've got two that are going to go to drama and they're going to miss the middle. Right. That's right. And, and and that, that was why this one for me was the Shawshank because I agree with you and you actually said it better than I did. So I'm thank you for that. But like, I don't think this is his best movie by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's probably fighting to stay in his top five, but I do think it's the most Spielberg Spielberg has ever Spielberg. Agreed. And by the way, looking at the list, so I have 15 different movies to mention at some point today, not include, sorry, 16 with Shawshank. Um, and I think it's probably in my bottom half for sure of these movies, as far as like movies I like and want to rewatch and all that. But when it comes to it, it again, this is a weird comparison. I don't really want to draw it this way, but much like Schindler's List, you have to see it. And then after you've seen it, it doesn't have to be rewatched. You know what happened. It was impactful. It did its thing. And it's important to see it in a different kind of way. And again, not comparing in any way E.T. and Reese's Pieces to Schindler's List. But the the iconicness of it is probably worth mentioning. So very quick question before we move to your pick. Uh, Has any movie ever done more for a candy? Oh, no. No, no, no. And you know the story of this, right? You know it was supposed I, to be M&M's. I do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's crazy. Crazy. I love Reese's Pieces. All right. I'm going to go to the next one that I think we will be sharing, but I could sure. be wrong. Um, I'm just going to explain the movie in like eight words, and then you're going to know it instantly, of course. But um, this is a movie about a shark terrorizing a small beach town 
Made at a time when nobody was scared of sharks because humans didn't used to be scared of sharks because there wasn't a movie called Jaws before Jaws. Right. Who greenlights that? Who's like, yeah, that's going to do well. Like, really? Like, this should have been a schlocky 70s era horror film like Friday the 13th or Halloween or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. So is this on your list? Am I right? Top five? No, it's not. Oh, boy. I, I pegged you as a Jaws guy. So... You know, you think about the other, like those movies I just named, like Friday the 13th. Sure. Jaws is nominated for Best Picture and is pretty much on, if you're going to make a list of best movies of all time, and that list is, let's say, more than 20 or so entries. Most film, most like film, film, film people will be like, you know, you're probably going to have to put Jaws on there. Right? Like, I would actually argue, again, putting Schindler's List in its own category. It might be the one of of Spielberg's that many people would, would say from a filmmaking jaws is like a horror movie somehow turned into a film. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. and that's, and that to me is, so my take is Spielberg made this a mainstream thriller instead of the B list horror that it would have been. Uh, it's also basically the first ever summer blockbuster, right? True. This movie invents the block. Like, Spielberg invented the blockbuster. He invented the touching kids alien story. He invented modern action adventures. Like it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. What's also amazing about Jaws, Spielberg never does something like it again. There's nothing else in his entire pantheon, anything like, you know, you could argue that AI is a, is a, is an ET 2.0, right? You can argue most of the modern movies, there's some throwback. You'd be like, yeah, he, he just sort of took that and, and really, really upped it up the game. Like Ready Player One is a massive evolution of Raiders, right? It's not, right. you know, uh, uh, War of the Worlds is a massive evolution of Close Encounters. Like he's done this thing where he takes these, these old movies of his own and kind of comes back to them in one way or another. And then there's Jaws. And by the way, my only bit of trivia to share is when they were trying to pitch Alien, it was pitched as Jaws in space. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Jaws is a great movie, but in thinking about who was around in the late 70s that maybe could have pulled this off, there were a couple people that I think if given that script and their sensibility could have potentially done something interesting with it. Because again, this you're right. There's this horror thing happening in that time frame. Uh, but some of the guys who were doing horror, and I say guys because they they were exclusively white men. Um, but some of the guys that were like in that field, I think were actually doing pretty interesting stuff and making pretty good movies about it. So, I mean, Carpenter, like John Carpenter was a little bit more slashy, like for sure. But I think you could look at like even Lamette maybe could have done it. Um, Altman could have done it. Friedkin. Like there were other people in that time frame. I don't know that it's Jaws if it's not Spielberg, but I do think it still would have been successful. That's the only reason I kept it out of my top five. I think your list of alternate directors is really interesting. I, 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 I would love Altman's take on Jaws. You'd have 10 more characters and all these micro stories and, and, you might have three more sharks and there'd be sure. cross. Yeah. It'd be, uh, that, that's, I'm, that would be such an interesting thing. Like someone should do that. Lot, Cause they do a lot of like recasting couch kind of stuff. I'd yeah. love to see someone put together the rough cut of, of Robert Altman's jaws. 
I'm done with this one. That's it. You 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 won the day with with, with that. Um, but I'm not sure how much I agree. Um, I think this is where I might push back a little and say, I think it took Spielberg to envision a horror movie as a modern thriller, even drama. Like Robert Shaw's performance is phenomenal, and like these characters have stories, and like you know talking back talking about the war talking about you know it, not beyond all the quotableness and the, and the everything it's like there's some real depth in here and it's part of what makes it such a special movie i i'm i've got to really think could someone else have done this because i went through those same kind of lists in those like mid 70s late 70s directors carpenter would have made jaws the thing and and it would have been maybe not like bloodier but definitely because because it was pretty bloody <laughs> Well, that that was why I so Carpenter, so Carpenter and Lamette were the two that I really kind of landed on because Lamette gets storytelling and characters, and that's the thing that Jaws had that usually those movies don't, which is like really deep characters, right? That's why I think people like love Jaws. Like that's what that's what Lamette did. Carpenter did the other thing, which is the scary monster thing. And I was trying to think, okay, he'll make it a little more slashery, like slashery. But then I thought about Jaws. I'm like, that eh, Jaws is pretty bad, man. Like Jaws is a horror movie, like straight up, like. It's treated like a horror movie. Could have Carpenter done, built in the depth of character? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it's interesting. I think it would have been interesting. I don't know how divergent it would have been from the thing that Spielberg wrote. And again, just for argument's sake to defend myself before people come for me on this, more so than other movies I'm going to talk about. I'm not saying he could have easily been replaced. I'm saying there are movies I think maybe would have been harder to replace him in. Fair enough. I, I think I'm going to keep this in my... I think other people could have made Jaws. I think other people could have turned Jaws into something that it that that it would have been interesting. I don't know that any name you've mentioned or any other mid seventies kind of director really turns a movie about a shark terrorizing a small beach town into a Best Picture nominee. That's that's, a good that's where I'll I'll drop that mic right there. A good argument. Yeah. Uh, listen, you're probably more right than me because I also just am not as close to this age of cinema as you are like you just know more about that world but yeah i mean listen it's the very first one in my contender pong like it was right. the one it's not in my list of he shouldn't have done it which by the way there's nothing he shouldn't have done but like it, it's not it, it just it didn't float to the top of like well i can't imagine anybody else doing that where there's like three or four others where i'm like i don't think anybody else does that right yeah and the other the thing that's going through my head right now and and this is why i i think i'm going to stick to my guns on this one is if you know any of the stories about the production of this one also funny enough how many of spielberg's early movies had production nightmares what happened here was like they basically just couldn't really get the shark stuff working and so the reason there's so little shark in the movie which is part of what makes the movie Oh, by the way, sorry. There's other, one other note I had that I forgot to mention. This is the beginning of the Spielberg uh, Williams, what I guess we'd call it, bromance. Sure. And that's pretty dark. In fact, when I look at my list of the five I've got for, actually, I don't know who wrote this score for that one. I'm going to have to go Google it while you talk for a second. But um, <laughs> like how much, like that matters, right? I think that matters in this whole thing. And I also think that this score is essential to this movie. I think. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Like if you go back to that era again and listen to movies, I think I told you to watch the conversation recently. I don't know if you've got a chance to. I did. But you did. Yeah. Oh, because you told me. Like, oh, look at that. So a lot of those mid seventies movies, the scores are these very harsh, discordant kind of 
like really like like nails on a chalkboard kind of music going on the entire movie. And all of a sudden enter this enter this Williams kid who does something a little special. So I feel like I'm I'm waxing a little long on the jaws. So I will pass the baton to you, sir. So I don't think that this is going to take long to talk about, and I will almost guarantee it's not in your top five, although you have surprised me before. My five words for this one are great trash talk for tag. Great trash talk for tag? Yep. Great for tag. Well, that doesn't sound like Lincoln. No, it's not. Great trash talk. Tag. Nothing. I mean, I have no idea what. I know, and I have no idea what you're talking about. What is this? Real. So now you've got me nervous that maybe I got this wrong. But catch me if you can. Uh, you're so so good with those five words. (laughs) I thought you were still doing the literal translation translation thing. Oh no! This week I'm just trying to make you laugh. So that was I was just kind of no. Oh, it's perfect. No, this is uh, this is. Uh, actually on my list of, I think someone else could have pulled it off. So let's, let's, so I, so I'm just being clear. I've got the five that I think nobody else could have done. And the five that I think somebody else certainly could have done. And this is on that list. So let's, let's hear yours. And then maybe I'll just go straight into that or come back to it. Let's figure it out. Go for it. it So here's why. And it's, it's, it's one simple word that I don't think anybody does as well as he does in, in, in film in our generation. Innocence. There is an innocence to the way that he portrays and films DiCaprio, Frank Abingdale, for the majority of this movie. He he makes him young. So the same way we've been talking about how he handles youth, he creates a youth in Frank Abingdale throughout the entirety of this movie, even as he gets older. And this like very, very like raw innocence that I think other people, because Soderbergh is the one who immediately, Soderbergh was like, that's the one. He's the guy. Like I was like, okay, he could have done this movie. This is right in his wheelhouse. And I think he would have done a fine job. That said, I think everybody else would have, Abigail would have been slicker and smoother and older. And he wouldn't have had this same sort of like, sort of youthful, unsure of himself thing that Spielberg and DiCaprio, I think, nailed in a way that I don't know, even with Leo in the role, I don't know that anybody gets that kind of performance. Because the thing that's crazy about this movie that I've always loved about it, probably my favorite thing about this movie, is how small this character is who's playing big characters on screen. Right? This like really, really like very scared, very like unsure of trying to figure it out. Boy, I don't know. It's a Spielberg thing for me. I don't think anybody else does this justice. I really don't. Hmm. All right. It's an interesting thought. Does he bring out Abigail's like that that inner innocence that couldn't have been done elsewhere? All right, let me let me give you some of the directors I was thinking of for this one, sure. and I'll, I'll I'll have you respond to that because you make a fair point. There is there is definitely something about that uh, no, youthful exuberance, but I'm now what's stuck in my head. Just so you know what I'm thinking about it, is that Leo or is that Spielberg or is that both? Right, it's. Sure. It, it, and I don't really know because I'm trying to think like, have we seen Leo have another performance like this? Cause I think Hanks, you sort of discount in the way like Hanks is just going to do everything great. doesn't really matter. Like yep. 
this is a very Hanksian kind of part. Nails it. Um, yep. Yeah. And I actually had this note of, of the, uh, the, different actors that Spielberg goes on these interesting runs with. Cause he goes on this sort of Hank's run. He's got like a little like run with, with Hank's for like four movies. And um, so here are the directors I thought could have pulled off catch me if you can in a way that maybe isn't exactly the same movie, but in a way that I think are movies that both of us would really love watching. Sure. Okay. So the two most obvious are both Ron Howard and Ridley Scott, who are definitely, Telling caperish stories like this. I disagree with Ridley Scott immediately. Ron Howard, for sure. Ridley Scott is too big. He's too big. Everything's too big with Ridley Scott. A big part of this movie, I think, in its success is that it's small. Fine. I'll accept that. (laughs) Ron Howard. Ron Howard's a great one. Ron Howard does this. I just think it's more Hollywood and less thoughtful. Maybe. Doug Lyman who this is a couple, this is right around when he does born identity. It's right after he's done go. Yeah. Keep in mind he, he did swingers. So I think he can definitely do the banter. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm going to, I'm going to plant myself on the innocence factor here, which I, which by the way, I think your, your point of, is this Leo or is it Spielberg or is it a combination? I a hundred percent think it's a combination. Leo doesn't screw this role up regardless, but I don't think, Anybody, I'll let you keep going, but I don't think anybody gives him the freedom to do the innocence thing the way he does it, the way Spielberg does, because everybody else wants this character to be more like stern and more like solid in what they're doing. They don't want them fumbling around. You want them to be like this crazy, crazy caper criminal. And Leo played this like haphazard kid who was kind of winging it. And like, that's a better story. (laughs) Fair enough. I I feel like. I was thinking about Damon in the original Bourne movie, especially the first half hour of Damon in that movie when he's like getting the safe deposit box. Uh, Next one I'll give you is Spike Lee. This is right around the same time he does Inside Man in 25th Hour. And I think... Super different, but could have done it, sure. I think it would have been a different take. Um, Have you seen 25th Hour? Yeah. Brilliant, right? And I I love Spike Lee. It makes this a very different kind of movie, but I think a, a, a great one. And then the last one that I think, although I'm coming back to Lyman, this might have been my favorite other pick, would have been uh, Steven Soderbergh. This is right around Ocean's Eleven, where, again, I think he gets that cast doing the exact kind of stuff that, like, is done well, here. That's, yeah, that's why I said he was the one. So that's why I said Soderbergh. Like, he was the one where I was like, okay, I see how this movie works with him. And it works. And again, it's not that I think any of those people wouldn't have done this justice. It was... Is it the same movie? And my answer is, I, I don't think so. Soderbergh and Ly- Lyman's a good one. I don't know that I've thought, he did not come to mind and thinking through him. I can see a pretty strong argument for why that movie is probably not an order of magnitude different, regardless of which one of those two is in, in place. The only thing is the intensity. Because the thing that, the, the suspense built in this, I think has a very Spielberg through line, which is that it's sort of it's it's felt intensity not displayed intensity whereas Lyman's like showing you the intensity it's like hey this is a thing that's happening it's even in go it's like ah there's none of that here it's (laughs) like suspense right which is like a thing that emotional suspense Spielberg is very 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 specifically good at I think but I you know fair it's fair I I think there's something to be said for and you really have to know inside baseball to know it is the if, if we could argue that Spielberg got Leo to be this version of Leo, then I think I'm fully in your camp. I think if this was all Leo just 
making that character happen all through his vision of it, then I then I'll stand by mine. I think that, and since we don't know, I think that we'll leave it as as the uh, yeah unobserved I, principle. I'll agree. Well, because I'll agree with you. If, if if this was just Leo, then I, I I secede my point, and I think you're right, and somebody else could have done it. All right then. I think I'm going to do next. I think I have to do my my next most obvious pick, for lack of a better word. Sure. Uh, that I I have to assume we we have to be. Sh- I will be shocked if we do not share this one. So again, I'm just going to go straight into the description, and we'll see when I hit the moment. You can just tell me if we're right or wrong. I think if you're going to try for an ultimate nostalgic moment in cinema of like an like an like one of the most amazing things you could have ever seen on screen ever happen. I will give you two choices. The first one is X-Wing Fighters. Sure. And the second one is a Jeep going over a field seeing a Brontosaurus. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it it is one of the most perfect moments in film. Is that scene changed movies forever? That scene, yeah. right? Because CGI was clearly coming, and and everybody was going to go crazy with it, and we and like we'd still be here. Like, there's no question, we still end up where we are today without Jurassic Park. Uh, by the way, is it Brontosauri or Brontosauruses? I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to get Jeff on the phone. He'll know. All right. This is. What what is so great about Jurassic Park beyond I, I'm actually we don't need to really talk about the movie that much because we know the movie so well, but what what Spielberg does in this is the absolute perfect use perfect use of technology available at the time, mm-hmm. right? Like you go to the prequel trilogy and just go to Star Wars for a second, forgetting all of the whatever issues we have with the writing and, and Lucas directing, but fundamentally what the, one of the big flaws with it is. Everything's a CGI set, and you know it's a CGI set. Whereas Jurassic Park, be, I don't know if it's because there's a combination of practical effects and like models combined with CGI. I'm not exactly sure how, what I will put my finger on as the magic balancing act, but this is where I think Spielberg's vision for storytelling that I put up there. Like I think the only person who really even comes close to a movie like this is Cameron with both T2. And again, although I have not seen it, I know enough about it to say Avatar. There's something about the world building in a way where we don't want you to be distracted by the technology. We don't want you... It's like the de-aging stuff when done really, really well, like Captain Marvel is still probably my favorite use of it. It's the least hinky version. You know, Luke is fine. Leia was terrible in Rogue One. Oh, Oh, boy. You know... That's the kind of thing, like, like, hey, Lucas, you're ever going to have something redone? Just update the special effects, shoot them back out. Like, yeah, why not? Right, but um, yeah. the restraint, because I'm sure that once they started talking CGI, you're sitting there in the writers' room and you're figuring out how you're telling this movie, and I'm sure there's the no, no, we'll make those as CGI, CGI eggs, CGI, you know, uh, uh, pterodactyls, and I'm, and I don't know if it's, it's, I don't know who. Again, you know, you're not in the room where it happened. You don't know. But somebody in that room who was either Spielberg himself or someone that he had enough trust in said, you know, let's not do that. Let's let's just build a cool model of a, of a stegosaurus lying on the ground and a big pile of poop next to him, not, you know, the rest. 
So I think that's what makes this so perfect beyond amazing story. Like this is where all the regular Spielberg amazing magic is up a whole nother notch. So I felt like I just like threw a whole bunch at you. This was this was like on your list, right? Oh yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, th- this one. So, I mean, there's nothing that I'm going to say that you didn't say better than I could. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wax about it. I mean, it's just it's a it's such a good movie. It's John Williams and Spielberg again, oh. and it's so good. And uh, yeah, I like this is one of those movies where, given the moment in time and the choices they made, I don't think there's a single thing that you cho- you change. Like, I don't, I don't think you change any of it. I don't change the actors. You don't change the music. You don't change the effects. They, none of it. You leave it exactly as it is for all time and then start slapping their hands roughly after the second one. Um, maybe during some of the second one. And I hated the second one. I, no, that's I, why I, I disliked all of the movies since the first one. Yeah, it's not great. The second, there, there are moments in the Lost World for me that are like, this is still kind of Jurassic Park, and sure. then there's other parts of it where I'm like, what's happening? Why are we doing this? And yeah, then there's whatever this, these new ones are, which is just not Jurassic Park. It's some other thing. Yeah, and 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 they're fine for what they do, but this movie's special. This movie, like. I wrote down this is the gateway to all modern sci-fi and comic book movies. I think this changed the mold. Again, like what Spielberg has done for storytelling. Yeah. Like it's like he took his own model and it's like now we're going to take it up another notch and here's how and why and etc. One of the first times in my life I remember drawing a parallel to another like one of the first times I ever saw somebody doing somebody else's work in movies and recognized it as a human was Men in Black. There are three hmm. scenes in the original Men in Black where I'm like, oh, this is Jurassic Park. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, this is Jurassic Park. <laughs> and it just it clicked. I'm like, oh, that's Jurassic Park. And it is. And there's so many times in any movie with any kind of big thing, object, doing anything, recent time, it's probably Jurassic Park. Right. And, and by the way, on my comment before on Spielberg sort of doing his own movies, so Jurassic Park is Jaws. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah, Jurassic Park just, Jaws twenty years later. Later, well, he, yeah, every year, he, every twenty years, he's got a version of Jaw. Like, like he's got some version doing the same thing with newer technology. Going, see, this is what I would do yep. now. Yep. Yeah, and sure. uh, yeah, Jurassic Park is a horror movie. But uh, by the way, last thing before we move on, this is this is where when you really have to take a step back and like, if you're going to go on this like all time honor roll or whatever. And, and you're sitting here right now, you're listening to us and you're like, yeah, but I think Spielberg just makes like sort of schlocky action movies that are that are popular, but not like depth and et cetera. Jurassic Park is comes out the same year as Schindler's List. Yeah, I know. I saw so that. Crazy. we've got one person who makes two movies. I don't know if it's simultaneous, back to back, however that was done. One is telling the story of dinosaurs. The other is telling the story of the Holocaust. They're both amazing in obviously very different ways at the same time. Like, yeah, he's nuts. I, I can't look at a lot of folks and be like, oh, so you got the number one uh, rap hip hop song and you're also number one in uh, folk. Way to go. Like, yeah. Yeah. like, this isn't like Lil Nas X crossing over country into rap. This is like a country album and a rap album out at the same time. Yeah. 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 No, it's a, that's a very good analogy, actually. Yeah, that's no, great. That's great. He's yeah, he's crazy. All right, so this is my last one, and I'm stuck between two, actually. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I'm sure we'll get a chance for you to, to share some of that thoughts. Yeah. So 
I'm gonna go with it's a weird one, whatever. So basically, my 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 words for you are a station. There's no way this is in your top five, but I happen to love this movie. A station. I'll even give you some random. I can get. How about Stanley Tucci and Chai McBride? The Terminal. Yeah. Oh my! This yeah. is nowhere on any of my lists at all. Not because it's not a good movie. It just. Uh, I, I, I'm now, all right, ladies and gentlemen, I, a shocker from JT. Let's hear what he has to say. Here's why. So it was it was between this and another movie, um, obviously, that <laughs> <laughs> like that would make sense. It was between. I, I don't. Well, wait, do you have one more in your top five? Or are you done? I forgot. I have I one more to go. Okay, so I'm not going to say it then. There's one other one that like felt like a, it was a real thing. I'm like, yeah, this one's got a lot of the Spielbergy stuff. The terminal to me. The Terminal to me is one of those really, really weird movies that shouldn't be nearly as good as it is. It just shouldn't be. Like, there's nothing about it that that should make it as good as it is. And the thing that makes it as good as it is, a lot of it is Tom Hanks. A lot of it is Tom Hanks because he is, br- I mean, this is one of my favorite Hanks performances. Like, this in Philadelphia, which is a weird thing to say in the same sentence. But, like, he's so good in this. Um, but to what you said in the beginning, like this is one of those movies. And actually it was you that changed my opinion from my other movie because of your description of what he does so, so well uh, being Spielberg. I just think like, this is one of those things where again, attach a Ron Howard, attach it. There's a bunch of people you can attach to this that make it and it's fine. But there's something about, again, that like humanity and innocence that he creates in these small, tiny moments. And also this film, I'm calling it a film intentionally, this is shot so well. There are scenes in this, angles, like, you know, weird stuff with him and mirrors where you can't, it's just, there's all this really interesting like photography that happens in this movie. And there's so few characters and so few sets and yet just an overwhelming amount of emotion and thoughtfulness and sincerity And to your point, it has all these things that Spielberg does, right? There's like six storylines and they're all connected-ish and there's these big characters and little kids. I don't know. It's just like, to me, it's one of the most amazing examples of what he can do with very little in making a film. Because inherently, when you think about him, you think about Jaws and the entire indie series and Jurassic Park and these big epic things. Even like Lincoln, which I hope I'm not stepping on. I don't think you've seen that yet. But like... It's a beautiful, it's a huge movie though. Like there's a lot that went into that and the lighting and the color and all this stuff. This movie's like literally shot at LAX, man. And there's not a whole lot of set design. It's basically just a dude in an airport and it doesn't, it's, it works. The whole movie works. It's not slow. It's beautiful. I don't know. I think it's special. I I don't know that a lot of people could have made this that interesting. Whereas I think if you give a bunch of, a lot of the other stuff on his list, there's characters specifically I'm thinking about. If you give decent people those those actors in a budget, I think you get a pretty good movie. <laughs> yeah, I was, I've, you know, you brought it up, so now I've been deep in thought since you said it. I saw it the once. I thought it was fine. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Um, I didn't see it in theaters. So I didn't have, like, a huge connection to it uh, other than, by the way, just not to not to correct you, my friend, but it was actually filmed in, uh, Montre- in the Montreal unused airport. 
that 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 we have up there. There's a. Oh, uh, I think it was so, this, supposed to be set in. Oh no, it's supposed to be set that's in correct. K technically, or I don't remember. Or, where I don't remember where. Yeah, I don't remember where it's. I think LA. No, I think you're actually right about LAX, but it's actually filmed outside Montreal. Um, all Montrealers know stuff like that. All of us. Um, I think there's something to be said for Spielberg. Certainly makes a lot out of this. I think I sort of feel a lot of people could have made a movie like this very good. I'm, but I'm, I'm very torn in like how much better there was, was there something left on the table? Was there more here? Was there less here? So I, you know, I, I, it's a good point. And I unfortunately can't consider myself familiar enough with the movie. Like you said, there's six different plots. Honestly, I barely remember. I just remember like he's stuck and like sort of falls in love. That's kind of all I, all I really got here. Yeah, and this is a very personal pick, by the way. Like, I'm against most critics of this movie, too. Like, it didn't receive, it wasn't received particularly well. I just always thought that this movie was done so, so beautifully and so well that it's like, it's, it's opposition. And again, I also wanted to have a little fun today. Like, there's other, like, you know, the, the other stuff that remains now, we, we hit all the big ones. The stuff that remains now, I'm like, okay, like, you know, they're all awesome. But like I don't know, there's something. There, this I think this is a special movie. I don't think I'm going to get to talk about it ever again. So I figured now is the time. <laughs> Fair enough. I've got so my last one probably in that list of of question mark. But I felt while looking at his movies for a while yesterday, it, it, you see, you brought up Catch Me If You Can, which we already talked about. One of my absolute favorite movies. I've rewatched it many more times than oh. like a movie that is surprisingly rewatchable. Actually. Once you know what happens, like it seems like you shouldn't want to see it again. And yet it's, you still want to see it. Like I still think about the scene where they actually accidentally confront each other in the hotel room and things like that. So good. So I have a weird pick. uh, And, and I actually wrote this movie's an oddball. It's flawed in weird ways. For example, the hologram memory thing is too weird. Do you know what movie I'm talking about now? Not yet. No. So it's minority report. So that was the, uh, that's my other one. I love that movie. I love that. Movie. So this is a weird movie. Like, so the, the hologram thing, if you don't remember this movie or haven't seen it, Tom Cruise is basically watching a voicemail. It's like, it's a, it's a, or it's a, a video that he shot of his, I think it's his wife and his kid at the beach or something like that. And they've obviously you know, passed away. But I think about like, as a parent, <laughs> And I watch videos of my kids or whatever. Nobody would want this hologram thing. It was terrible. Like it's, it was super unwatchable and super un- like, and so I have this whole thing, like this whole world is weird. Like now my other thought was like, especially cause using that tech is like, maybe actually this is just that last family that still is using laser discs or something like that. Like everybody else already moved past the hologram phase and they're just hanging on to it or something like that. I don't know. But there's a lot of those throughout this movie. It's a future that's just like dystopian is not the right word. It's just like an oddball version of Earth where like certain tech evolves that shouldn't and other tech doesn't evolve. And like everybody loved that whole uh, move your arms around to control the screen and all the gestures. But what they nobody has thought about is like, actually, if you had to use your entire arms for gestures for eight hours a day, you would be tired. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not, it's, it's better than doom scrolling, but it's certainly like too much effort. But this is sort of my point about this movie is I think in anyone else's hands, it's just a big honking mess. I think like 
it would just be this sloppy, weird thriller mystery action movie that, that if you don't handle some of the things I think Spielberg can do so well, that especially around the humanity and the characters, then I think you end up with just like, I don't know, just like random throwaway Netflix sci-fi action movies, kind of what this would have been, right? This could have been like, like a, like a red notice. I'll actually throw Adam project into the mix. Cause we just saw it. It's like, it's fine, but it's, it's messed up in a bunch of ways. It just don't make sense where Adam project, by the way, Adam project is a great example of what if Spielberg had done it, right? You would have had it. Okay. And I enjoyed it, but not that much. Um, I think this is sort of in my characterization of Spielberg's work. It's like ready player one that it's not his best work. It just isn't. It's not a, it's not a great movie. There are flaws enough that make it just sort of a little rough around the edges, but it's definitely, and, and, and it's definitely my example of a flawed movie that Spielberg turned into actually a very fun rewatchable movie that like, I'll, I, I I'm actually dying to show Sam. We actually just finished the, uh, the Mission Impossible series and Minority Reports targeted next. Uh, it's also the first of Spielberg's cruise era. He goes through three movies. And it was interesting. I looked at the four actors that he's done multi-movies with, and they are Tom Cruise, Richard Dreyfuss, Jaws and uh, Close Encounters, Harrison Ford throughout The Raiders, um, and then uh, Tom Hanks through through his little run. Yeah. And all the rest, he just sort of pulls different people in to make the stories he wants to make, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's pretty good. So I Minority Report was on my list, and it was literally there until you did your opening, How You Feel About Spielberg, which then made me think about The Terminal more, and mm. then made me remember all the things I don't like about Minority Report. And then I was kind of like, nah, I'm not going to forgive him for that, but I do think The Terminal is better than people think. So I very much aligned on this. I actually love Minority Report, even though like people know I'm, I'm not a huge cruise guy. I, that movie is oddly rewatchable. Because every time I watch it, there's stuff that I go, I'm like, oh, God, I hate that. Like the whole car thing and the bikes. There's a bunch of stuff. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> but also I'm like, nah, I like this movie. <laughs> it's It reminds me of the movie A Scanner Darkly, which is, by the way, also Philip K. Dick, right? So Blade Runner, yeah. this, Phil, yeah. they're all Philip K. Dick stories, where it's definitely oddball. And Scanner Darkly is the example of when you don't quite get it right. When you, you know, don't you quite get a movie get it right. like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. So now, uh, why don't we move into a fast round of movies that somebody else could have done? Because you've got some of those still, right? I have four to go. Okay, I've got a couple that I can do too. So why don't you go first? First up, uh, you just mentioned it, Lincoln. Yep. Loved it. By the way, I just watched it like three, four weeks ago on your recommendation. But again, I got four directors. I'd throw at this easily. First is Spike Lee, who I think would have done it really interesting. I had this major, minor, like, could Tarantino have pulled it off because I just watched Django Unchained? Probably not. I don't think I don't think he could restrain himself enough. Um, I think Michael Mann could have made a phenomenal Lincoln movie. Yeah. Scorsese, easily. Uh, but my pick actually would have been Joe Wright, who did The Darkest Hour, which I don't think you've seen yet. I have not seen that, no. Yeah, I, I think after seeing that... Um, I would have liked Lincoln to be. I think. I think Wright could have pulled off Lincoln also. Again, by the way, Spielberg does a great job with it, but doesn't bring his specialness to it. Yeah, I think a potato could have directed Daniel Day Lewis and Lincoln. Like, I, I don't think you needed a whole lot of anybody to do that special. And realistically, I didn't get a lot of anything out. I didn't walk away from that movie thinking Spielberg. I just walked away from that going, right. God, that guy can act. So literally, yeah. I think it could have been a post or a potato, whatever. Just pick whatever you want. It would have been fine. Potato, it is. All right. 
Uh, my first one, so I'm going to stay in that same line. So Amistad. You know, I never saw it. So good. Very, very good. Just to be honest, like there were a lot of African-American directors who probably should have told that story. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I'll move on to uh, one I just mentioned, Ready Player One. Um, I First of all, I think it's one of those movies that's much, much worse if you've read the book because the book is so good and so much fun. And it's actually surprising to me that he could not make Ready Player One better. And hmm. um, especially a little thing I did not realize until I did my research for today. And since we were doing directing, it, I, I stand by my list today. But I didn't know that Spielberg actually wrote The Goonies. Yeah, I found that out too. <laughs> and it makes me feel even more so like he had so much fun with The Goonies. And then Ready Player One, I just feels semi-dud-ish. Like, it, you know, maybe it's the cynical timing. I don't know. But I'll give you four directors here. Peyton Reed, who directed Ant-Man. Sure. Uh, James Gunn, Guardians of the Galaxy. He's mine. He's who I wrote down. T- Tim Miller, Deadpool. Would have been good. But I think my favorite is Edgar Wright, uh, Baby Driver, and the actual original director of Ant-Man. Oh, okay. All right. That's good. Okay. Yeah, Ready Player One's on my list, too, so we'll share that one just because, like, and mine was Tim Gunn. I was like, I want Tim Gunn to do that movie immediately. I just think yeah. it would be so much more fun. Wait, you combine names. James Gunn, Guardians, Sorry, J- Tim Miller, James Deadpool. Gunn. James, James Gunn. Gunn. That's why I meant James Gunn. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't any names. Um, so my next one is tough because I was kind of on the fence about this, but Hook. Like, I don't know. First of all, you just, it's Robin Williams magic. So whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's again, it's like another one of those, like a lampshade, and Robin Williams would have been fine. Um, there, the the kid part of this is the hard part, which makes me think actually Ron Howard is the one who I think could have done this hmm. as good, maybe even a little better. There's no like, there's nothing wrong with Hook in my. Oh, opinion. I disagree. I think there's a lot wrong with Hook. Actually, I oh, love really? it, and I, yeah, I love it, and I think there's a lot wrong. With it. I think it's, I think it's actually a total mess of a movie. If I'm being pretty honest, like, ooh, yeah, like. Lots of the motivations of the character, like most character motivations throughout the entire movie don't work. It's got way too many, like people should just be talking to each other and solve a few problems. Just like the, the idiot plot kind of moments. Um, you got, you know, I'm not sure if Dustin Hoffman's acting in this movie or some other movie, because he's definitely like in a whole nother landscape as far as I'm concerned. Um, I have directors, I think would have done interesting things with hook. A Spielberg again. I kind of have a. I'd like him to take a second pass at it. Right, just do it again. <laughs> um, well, it's only a few years after like an ET, and it's right around the same time as uh, Last Crusade, which I, I don't bring like I didn't mention here as much. I, I have in my last list, um, but one of my one of my favorites of his. So the four authors I have though are Tim Burton, would have been a very different hook, but I think. That story concept of uh, Peter Pan has forgotten who he is. You yeah, know that. that's fun. That'd be a fun. I movie. think Tim Burton could have done some great stuff. Uh, Bob Zemeckis, right back from Back to the Future. Sure. Joe Johnston, who I don't know what happened to him, but he was the guy behind Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Jumanji. Oh, and I think, oh well, he's got Robin Williams chops already. That would have been fun. Exactly. And then uh, Richard Donner, who did The Goonies, I think Goonies, also could have yeah, done that. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah. Those are good. I have one more. It is. Probably the most controversial of the entire list. Okay. But I'm going to argue that I think, and again, this is this is going to ensue some angry texts uh, sometime this Saturday. Uh, I think 
I would give Close Encounters of the Third Kind to another director just to see what happens. So very quickly, I'm going to read a list to you of things I didn't see or cannot remember. Close Encounters, 1941, Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, AI, War of the Worlds, Munich, and War Horse. I have seen Close Encounters at some point. I remember none of it. It's I saw it many times. It's one of those movies that just generationally, you saw Close Encounters a bunch if you were my age. So I'll give you Stanley Kubrick. Sure, I would, it would have been an interesting Close Encounters. Uh, again, I'm coming back to, to Ridley Scott. This is right around the same time as Alien. So he's definitely comfortable in sci-fi. And I think a version of Close... See, Close Encounters doesn't get Spielberg's special touch. There's not enough magicness. The main character, Richard Dreyfuss, is a little too kooky. Just, it just sort of lo- loses out. I think, I think overall as a story, it's much better with a kid involved more. Like, just overall. Sure. But uh, John Avidson, who is the director of Rocky and the Karate Kid, would have been phenomenal. Phenomenal? Avildsen, sorry. And then a guy who I had to go look this up. His name is John Gehrman. I don't, I don't know much about him. But he was the director of The Towering Inferno. Okay. And there's something about that movie and, and what they try to do with Close Encounters that I just feel like could have been a really, really clever take on it. And, and I could be very wrong, but that was my last pick there. Love it. Uh, I don't have any more because I, I sort of – the only other the only other movie I wanted to bring up was The Post – which I do think he did an amazing job with. Um, with that cast, again, it's one of those things where I don't know that anybody would have done a poor job. Also, it's the retelling of a true story that's pretty recent. So I think he did a very good job. I think it's a very well done movie. I don't think there was anything that makes me go, man, Spielberg really blah, blah, blah. It was like, yeah, that was the movie you were sh- that you or anybody else probably should have made and g- good on you. Fair enough. I have my other list just like yours. These are this is different than your take. These are five movies that that are in my in between. I'm unsure if I would have given them to someone else to do, but okay. all five, three of these five are going to be highly debatable. Uh, two will not. The undebatable ones I think are War of the Worlds and AI. I think neither are really considered great anything's. Uh, AI could definitely shave 45 minutes off that bad boy. You got a pretty good movie. I never saw it. But then I'm going to go three I really like a lot, including one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Last Crusade. And I love it. But I also think maybe it could have been by just about anyone else. I don't know. That's why I'm I'm shrugging my shoulders, maybe. Hmm. Empire of the Sun. Never saw it. Have you seen that one? Oh, Christian Bale as a kid. Yeah. Baby John Malkovich. It's great. Yeah. And then, and then the big one to put on the top of the whole list is, uh, could someone else have handled Saving Private Ryan better than Mr. Spielberg? And I'm going to go with, I don't know. I'm not saying yes. I'm not saying no. I'm giving it a maybe. Mm. Mm. I don't know. So uh, didn't see AI, did see War of the Worlds and don't remember it. So that's as much as you need to know about that. It's fine. Um, it's better than I thought it would be. I only saw War of the Worlds for the first time two years ago. And I was like, oh, people really didn't like this movie. I thought it was fine. Yeah. I thought it was, I, again, I, I saw it and don't remember enough to talk about it, but I know I saw it. Last Crusade is rough. I don't know that anybody else does that. Oddly, I had Saving Private Ryan in the, yeah, he did great. But like that budget, that cast, that scale, that story, I feel like... I don't know that people do it as well, but I also can think of some people that I think would do just as good or within a degree or two left or right of center. I think it'd be fine. 
I mean, the movie's yeah. amazing no matter what. The story is amazing no matter what. But again, I mean, that was like a big budget thing. Like, I don't think anybody gets hit. Anybody that they would hand that kind of budget to, I think probably does that movie justice. Yeah. The one that I had this is the only one I put a name next to that I think would have been interesting. I would have loved to see the take on it and be, excuse me, it'd be very different is uh, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, Clint Eastwood would be good. So Saving Private Ryan for me would be Ridley Scott because that's like he's got it's got all of the big, big yeah. Ridley Scott things like for sure. You know, I think would have been fun. Uh, this was fun. We I want to do more of these. I think these are good. Like these retros, like these career retros on like, you know, special, not as special middling specials. A good time. I like these. I'll um I'll I'll pass it along to upper management. We'll see if we get the green light. Yeah. Let, let them know. Hey, well, speaking of letting them know, uh, hey, hey, you people let us know. If there's anybody that you want us to do a retro on, uh, holla at you boys. Uh, we love you guys. Uh, happy St. Patty's Day. Uh, I hope your brackets are doing better than mine. Kentucky's the worst. And uh, we'll see you next week on the Lo-Fi Top 5.